high. I want to set the scene for you as I sit here in the loft in San Diego with my favorite friend for part two of my mental health journey. Welcome back for those of you who have been tuning in. Welcome for those of you, if this is your first time, I am sipping Prosecco with a little limoncello because I'm cavalier like that and all of my friends know it. (laughs) But we're here for episode three and I'm so excited about my special guest. You guys have heard lots about her and today you will get to know a little bit more about her and about how she is helping shape the mental health of those in her life and those in her work. My favorite friend, Adia, is here, guys. Hi. Hi, Adia. Hi, Oh. So there are some of you who know me personally who have been asking um, where you can find an Adia or how you can meet my idea and this is your chance this is your opportunity to do your little meet and greet (laughs) for fakesies yeah for fakesies Mm. because what you will learn about me in this episode um is that she's mine and i'm not sharing her with anyone (laughs) any of you so i'm trying to follow her on like instagram oh you're so sweet none of that nope (laughs) You know, and like the whole non-attachment, I've been working on that. Mm. But when it comes to her, no, nah, it's out of there. Mm. So yes, Adia's here and we're going to delve into mental health on another level. Last week or last uh, episode, I talked about my journey and when I decided I needed to make that step to move forward with therapy and how I found my therapist and what that work has done for me. And so I wanted to get a professional on the show to share with you. Um, all all about that. So we're, we're going to jump into that. So before we get started, I want to have Adia introduce herself to you. Have a couple of questions just for you guys to get a feel for who she is and what she does and why it was important for her to be on the show today. So Adia, what do you do? What what? Tell us about your professions. Uh, uh-huh. A little bit foreshadowing there. Um, so in my day job, I am a clinical manager for the San Diego Center for Children. And generally what that means uh, is that I provide clinical supervision for um, interns. So interns of clinical social work, interns of marriage and family therapy, interns of professional counseling. Um, who are acting as clinicians for the youth and families that are um, connected to our program, which is wraparound. Okay. So that's one of your mm-hmm. one of your, your digs. Yeah, yeah. Next we have. Uh, I also work super part-time as a facilitator for the University of Phoenix. Okay. So once upon a time I taught, you know, up to... 10 or 12 courses a year and this year so far I've taught two I think maybe three okay mm-hmm. 
Next check. Also, also, I have a really small, manageable private practice okay. here in Mission Valley, um, San Diego, where I work primarily primarily with adolescents um, and their families. However, I also see individuals um, and some couples. Y'all hear that? He's talking about black girl magic. Oh, you know me. I just do this and this and this. Um, Multiple streams. You know, I'm not that good at having hobbies, so I just work. <laughs> I just work, you know. It's fine. My Jamaican mom and father are proud. Yes, and so so are your friends. Um, so that is why she's here. Aside from being my favorite, um, I feel like she has a lot of, of value to add to the conversation around mental health and around therapy and I feel like there are a lot of questions that we have about mental health and I know personally I had no idea where to start I had no idea where to look um, other podcasts that I've listened to they have like ads in the beginning where they have all kinds of different ways to find people through apps and you can text people when you're feeling away about different things how how do you how does someone find a therapist? What suggestions do you have for someone who's been inquiring? What's the how how do we find right. someone to help us? Where are they? Yes. Yes. We're hiding from you. First of all. <laughs> hiding. Uh no, that's an excellent question. I think that that is half of the battle most of the time. Um, so there are a number of online directories that you can choose to utilize in finding a clinician so one really popular one is psychology today so just google psychology today and you can um, create filters for a number of factors that are important to you um, including whether or not they accept your type of insurance male female orientation in um, clinical practice um, specific symptoms that you might be experiencing whether it be anxiety or eating disorder or adolescent issues, LGBTQ, you name it, it'll be listed there. Um, so there are a number of those type of directories that you can search for online. You can always go through your insurance carrier if that's what you want to use as a source uh, to pay. So they'll give you a list of clinicians that are nearby. I would say word of mouth, a, perf a personal referral to a clinician is oftentimes a very good starting point. You know, um, someone else who enjoys their therapist, enjoys their time with their therapist will be able to speak to that um, for you. And obviously, you know, you being connected to them gives you an idea of whether or not you feel like you might also be able to build a connection with that person. Um, those are, I think those are good places to start. Other than that, you might find yourself going deep into a wormhole. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say it's important to have an idea of what it is that you want mm -hmm. to pursue. You know, maybe initially you might find lots of other things along the way, um, but that will help you to kind of narrow your search initially. Thank you. Yeah. So someone chooses to take that advice they delve into psychologytoday.com they use someone you know word of mouth and they it's their first meet and greet with their therapist mm -hmm. over the phone or in person and we're there we're there what is the best advice that you can give for someone for just showing up what is the the way that someone can get the most out of that first meeting yeah 
Yeah. So I, you know, it has been my experience both professionally and in my own, you know, therapeutic journey that um, upon making that first phone call, that first email to initiate contact with the therapist, they will probably offer you some type of over the phone consultation first to find out whether or not it's going to be a good fit. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to identify what it is that you are reaching out for support regarding and you get a feel for them initially too so that kind of helps mm-hmm. right you can weed out some of the the lemons i guess mm-hmm. you could say and then upon that first session you're going to expect that they are going to um, explain a little bit about their process to you they should explain to you um you know what the journey of therapy can hold for the, for you Um, And they'll talk a little bit about their own orientation, how they work, um, how they, you know, assess, how they set goals and how you'll know how things are going. So you guys are developing a partnership together. My, my, you know, my number one advice would be to say that try to do your best to just be honest and open. You know, I think that's easier said than done. But if you're feeling hesitation, if you're feeling self-conscious, if you can find the power within yourself to reveal that to your therapist, I think that is phenomenal, you know, just showing up in the room. Um, I think being inquisitive, um, that person is open and willing to go on this journey with you, and you set the tone. It's not um, their responsibility to say where things should go you know this is your journey so you're really in the driver's seat and you should feel that way so that's what I would say I would say be as honest as you possibly can and um, know that they're going to go with you but they shouldn't be leading the way Mm. very nice so I have a question how how the hell did you get into this work yeah did it choose you or did you choose it how, how, did, how did you get here I I get the sense more and more that this work um, chose me you know I say that because I can remember back to far 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 into middle school in the seventh grade having the thought that I wanted to be a therapist and deep never changing (laughs) right right um and never looking back never changing my mind never wavering since I made that decision Mm -hmm. and there are so many things I've changed my mind about since the seventh grade right so many things so being the person who friends reached out to um for a listening ear for honest reflection for empathy for you know logical level-headed kind of direction Mm -hmm. I think um, it felt good. You know, it was it was nice. It was a place that I felt successful and confident. And at the same time, I, I felt really nourished by the experience of helping people help themselves. Nice. You know, wanting people to feel capable and competent at helping themselves, not needing lots of other people or other things in order to be okay. So that's where that really started for me. Mm-hmm. So back in seventh grade, so I know we talked about what you do, but how did you get, how did you get to that point? So mm-hmm. seventh grade, high school, what what happened after you graduated high school? <clears throat> I'm assuming there's some some fancy education there somewhere. <laughs> so no, you know they just kind of let you do this thing. You know you oh, just okay. show up and they're like, 
You got a cute face. Okay. Like, how do you feel about like sitting in a room with people all day long? Oh, cute face. Yes. Um, yeah. No, you're right. So in my high school, they had this. I wish I could remember the name of it right now. I'm losing losing all of my memories, but it was a. You know, I think of it like a vocational club. Okay. Um, and so one of the things that they provided us with were um, access to mentors in our field. And so I spent time with a clinical psychologist who worked in a hospital setting. And so I got to interview this person and ask lots of questions and be with them at work and kind of see what their work setting was. Um and thought it was pretty interesting and they gave me some solid advice that you know I should not get my doctorate right away that I might find myself pigeonholed especially mm. if I had had not had a lot of work experience okay. yet that I might think that I know what I want to do now and that that might be changed or shaped by having had more experiences okay. so they advised me to try to get a job in a group home that that would give me lots of hand-on experience and uh, exposure to lots of different fields that work together okay. so after I graduated high school I went to Cal State San Bernardino and ma- majored in psychology um, and got a job in a group home and worked there for about I don't know what felt like an eternity, um, which is probably no more than like 11 months. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you that right now, you find any residential counselor, the shelf life is about 11 months to okay. 15 months or whatever. So I did that. Um, I did some ABA therapy, which is generally um, behavior modification for kids that are diagnosed with like Down syndrome, um, aut- being on spectrum with autism disorder, um, uh, some type of spina bifida, any things that, you know, that are people are born with some type of developmental disorder, ABA therapy works really well. Okay. That's not my get down. I am not that girl. People who do that work are incredibly patient and compassionate. And although I hold some of those characteristics, they are not at the core of my being. Okay. Okay. So, um, so I moved on past that and did other in-home behavior modification kind of counseling. Okay. Um, and then knew that it was time for me to go get my graduate degree. So then I went on and um, got my master's in clinical psychology at Pepperdine University. Where? At Pepperdine University. Okay. Oh. That's, I'm sorry. So for those of you who um, are not familiar, this gorgeous campus is just in Malibu, across street from the Pacific Ocean. And, um, I mean, my undergraduate degree, we won't talk about where I, have, where I got mine from, mm-hmm. but um, there's, a, there's a sense of pride that I have for my friends who graduate from these prestigious universities, so I just like to point that out. It up oh, yeah, bit, you know. I, I think it's, it's, yeah, so that had nothing to do with you, everything to do with me. Everything to do with you, gotcha. Go yeah, on. yeah. Go uh-huh. On. Uh-huh. I have a feeling that the way that they got that wonderful land that they built the university on is by having astronomical tuition fees. So that I am still paying on. So um, one day I'll move past that. Maybe I should talk to my therapist about it. Let's see. Um, So in working at the group home while I was still in graduate school, um, 
I learned from, you know, probation officers. I learned from clinical social workers. I learned from therapists. And I saw the different relationships that they had with the kids. And I saw how their specific field of work informed the choices that they made with the kids and the kind of relationships they could have with them, um, their orientation and how they felt they could influence and support their journey. Um, And I realized that I I didn't want to be a social worker and that I kind of want to be a probation officer, mostly so I could carry a gun. Um, But really that I think I still wanted to be a therapist, you know, and that I really enjoyed working with adolescents. So, yeah, I did three years at Pepperdine. Feels like, sounds like prison, right? I did three years. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I studied for three years at Pepperdine. And then I got licensed in 2013. I've been working on and off at the San Diego Center for Children since after graduate school. So 2009. Um, yeah, and then 2013 is when I started working for University of Phoenix and opened my private practice as well. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you've been doing this work for a while now. A little while, a little while. A little bit of an OG. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Yes. So I want to get into myths. I think that there are quite a few myths um, within the black community. I think even outside of that community, um, just in general, we have these thoughts and feelings about what we feel therapy is, why we need it, why we don't need it. And while I have you, Hmm. I would like your personal opinion about what you think about why that is. Before I do that, do you tell people what you do for a living when you you meet them? No, of course (laughs) not. That's silly. Why not? Um, So, okay, so that's not always true. It depends on how... I'm meeting someone. So if I go, no, I can't think of too many circumstances when I would tell somebody that I'm a therapist. Yeah. Maybe if my friend has already told someone that I'm a therapist, I might be honest about that. However, I usually lead with that I'm a, I teach, you know, I teach at University of Phoenix and then I just kind of feel the scene out, you know, and then later on sometime in our relationship, I'll reveal that, you know, I'm a therapist and that is because um, people, are, I think, are terrified of therapists. If they've never gone to therapy, people are terrified about what, who I must be or what I must be doing. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, all of their issues become insurmountable mm-hmm. and obviously the object of my affection. Mm. So they assume that I'm analyzing them. They assume that I have all of the answers. Mm-hmm. Um yeah basically people will just flat out say oh no you know and I get like looks or stares and people run away or they make sarcastic jokes or they yeah it's Mm. it generally doesn't go as well gotcha so about that analyzing thing Mm -hmm. about it do do, is is that what happens a therapist meets someone and immediately they would just pick up on all these little pings and start to analyze who this person is like is, is that I'm not going to ask if that's what therapists do. Is that what you do? Thank you. Is that what you do? Uh, So I would say most of the time, like, I'm going to say like 90% of the time, absolutely not. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm a human being. I'm just a person. And being a therapist is one of the things that I do, that I spend some time doing while I'm being paid. Mm -hmm. While I'm being paid. Is this thing on? Yeah. When I'm paid, that's when I'm a therapist. If I'm not being paid, I'm not worried about what your problems or your issues are. I'm not trying to find deeper meaning in the things that you say or the mm-hmm. things that you do because I just don't care. I don't care. Gotcha. I don't. That's fair. Yeah. 
That's really fair. I don't care. I, I do know that that's a thing. Um, and not that I know a ton of therapists, but that's something that I've heard whenever anyone speaks with like a doctor or like anyone in, in that kind of a field. People just get really nervous and it's just like, what kind of shit do you have going on? Right. And you think that somebody cares that, that so much, much right? when they first meet you. Right. Like, Really. I'm not going to lie that there are obviously some things that have some very telltale signs mm-hmm. that stand out that you can't help but notice. You just know, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like, so if a child walked by and they were scratching and there are little pink spots all over their skin, you might think chickenpox? Oh, maybe. Chicken pox. maybe not. Ocean doesn't have any experience <laughs> with children and chickenpox, so we're going to just <laughs> pretend like that didn't happen. However, other people might think, oh, chickenpox. Or if they have pussy eye or something like that and you're like ooh you might have pink eye right you're not a doctor are you no No, not a doctor not at all a pediatrician but you have some experience with it it's hard to forget I see so that might happen but I'm not gonna diagnose anybody and be like hey you should um here's my business card (laughs) come see me later yeah absolutely not not like that okay okay so do therapists give advice I hope not Okay. Um, see, this is the thing. Like, Just like you said, you're not going to ask me, do all therapists analyze yes. people when they first meet them? Do all therapists give advice? Um, I really hope not. I think that p- clinicians give advice in crisis situations. Okay. So somebody's going to tell you to call 911 if you're not if you don't feel safe, you can be safe. Right. They're going to call they're going to advise you to go to a hospital, you know, if mm-hmm. you feel like you are in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, things that are critical, yes, we're going to give direct advice and direction on things. Other than that, the therapy is all about the journey that you are on. No one can be an expert in you but you. True story. That's what makes it so damn hard yes but also so very rewarding mm-hmm. wow yeah okay own your own thing so if your therapist if you have a therapist and your therapist gives you advice Fire. quit your therapist <laughs> um that's not helping you yeah. that's not helping you you're not learning anything you are living life the way that they see that you should be living life yeah. you know and i think that they have good intentions most of the time and sometimes they could be right about something but relying on somebody else to tell you how to live your life that doesn't sound normal if your friends were doing it if your parents were doing it so why would somebody else do it lovely all right so do therapists do they have therapists Mm, these are good I have a therapist. I love her. <laughs> I try not to tell her that though, you know. Right. Give her the Amy Jeebies. Yeah. Same. Same Z's, yes. <laughs> I I think I personally believe that all therapists should have a therapist. Um, our work can be really challenging and really isolating and sometimes overwhelming. And you can't always go home and talk to your partner about it. You know, you should not divulge the content Mm. of your sessions with your partner it's unethical and they don't know what to do with that information either right they can be empathic towards you um but that doesn't necessarily give you a lot of closure or direction so therapists will i think fairly regularly and easily consult with other therapists for some clinical guidance get a new fresh set of eyes on the situation and help them to make positive decisions and, and maybe potentially like referrals regarding the treatment that they're offering. Okay. But as far as their own personal work, their own personal burdens, um, I would hope that therapists find value in seeking their own 
support. Yeah, I think it's essential to personal growth. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if my therapist is a therapist. If you really like her and you think she's awesome, she probably does. Yeah. Because going to therapy, nothing if nothing else, boosts your own therapy game. Mm, That's for sure. That. Yeah. I can see that. So I have a question that I didn't plan to ask you. I think this happens a lot on television shows mm. where therapists, the client is lying on the couch. Yes. I've never been invited to lay on a couch. No. I definitely get to sit on a comfy couch mm-hmm. when I'm visiting right. my therapist, but never any laying down. Mm-hmm. There's generally like a notebook. Right. Do you take notes? I do. You do? I do. Okay. Yeah. How do you explain that to your clients um, when you're doing that? Or well, do you explain it? They I, ask. Right. Right. I just shut the fuck up and ignore this. <laughs> I do what I want. Okay. You've been invited into this space. Don't try to fuck shit up. Okay. Um, <laughs> don't look over here. Yes. No. I do take notes. I don't take notes constantly. Okay. I introduce it the first time I meet them because it's an assessment. I've had them fill out paperwork. However, we're going to have a conversation. and I'm going to have some follow-up questions about some of the information that they've provided. Okay. And I take notes because... I hope that they don't possibly think that I can remember everything that they would say. I do hope that they feel like I am invested in what it is that they're saying um, and that I want to look back upon it at some other time and be able to be more intentional about what it is. So I take notes so that I can be present in the moment with them and not trying to think through everything that they're saying and understand everything that they're saying on a deeper level. Um, And also so that we can be reflective of themes that have come up in the work that we've done. So I think all clinicians document. So ethically speaking, you have an ethical responsibility to keep a excuse me, a record of the work that you do with your clients. You need to have some type of clinical notes okay. that you take. And then your clinician may not do it while you're in the room, but they definitely do it after you leave. Um, and it's for your benefit and for their legal responsibility. I wonder what my notes look like. <laughs> No, you don't. No, you do not. Because my therapist doesn't take notes, and she remembers everything. And I'm like, you can't be that good. I know you are writing this stuff down. <laughs> I'm trying to impress me. You know you what? Like, you can remember a lot, and I think that's the thing. That's a characteristic of a clinician. Is like we do remember a lot of yeah. what people say and do, and facial expressions and body language and all that stuff we remember (laughs) highly attentive people i think um but yeah no i keep notes i don't take notes the entire time like i said um but there are some things like i'll write down like a a specific word or a phrase that somebody says or maybe names if they're sharing lots of siblings and things like that like i'll write that down okay all right definitely have questions about that yeah so jumping into just a few myths that come to mind for me. One of those is talking to family members or friends is just as effective as talking to a therapist. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely more inexpensive mm-hmm. than a therapist. But is it as effective? Uh, I don't know what everyone else's <laughs> family members are like. I mean, I have phenomenal friends personally, and I think that that led me to avoid seeking out a therapist okay. for quite some time. I knew that I wanted one, but I was really apprehensive about what that journey of searching for just the right person was going to look like, and so I became a bit self-defeatist and you know, didn't take any steps. And so Connecting with my friends and my family has been phenomenal, and I'll continue to do so. However, it doesn't take you 
deeper. It doesn't take you further. And I say that because your friends and family, they see you how they want to see you, right? Like they are rightfully so invested. You know, they have an investment in who you are as it pertains to you guys' relationship and as it pertains to who they are, you know, how they see themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a big part of how you play in helping them continue to believe who they are who they are. And so you making specific decisions in your own life, um, they have an investment in you going one direction or another. So that doesn't always benefit you. It sometimes benefits them. So that's... You don't, you don't get to be completely selfish in a relationship unless you're going to therapy. Very you true. get to be completely selfish. It's about you and no one else, and that person is dedicated to your journey, not, like, our journey, you know? Very true. Well, that myth has been dispelled. Um, <laughs> another myth is you pay a therapist to listen to you vent. So, and I've, I've heard that from people where they feel like they have hooked up with this therapist and venting is a great thing. A lot of us don't have spaces where we can just like let off. Uh, but then after that, then what? Is in your experience, at least with your clients, when they come and they vent, is that was that what they pay you to do, or what? What happens after the venting? Yeah. Is there more that we should be expecting? Right. Yeah. Great questions. So I mean, absolutely. Sometimes um, each session looks a little bit different, and sometimes people as you said before, don't have a space where they can be as authentic as they need to be. And they save it for a time when they can. Um, And so sometimes that space with your therapist is a space where you just let off, Mm -hmm. right? And you can be heard and nobody's going to criticize you or say, oh, but wait, that you maybe you're, no. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be you popping off. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, I hear you. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you need that. You know, so sometimes you that's what you did for your hour. You vented and that's okay. I think that that is absolutely okay and sometimes that's absolutely necessary. I think there the problem occurs when that is all there is and there's no because you could come in, you can vent every single week for an eternity and and never get past that and be what what does that do for you to be in this perpetual cycle of frustration, repressed anger, repressed mm. sadness? Um, and hiding of yourself in other areas of your life and only able to be one version of yourself when you show up there, right? So you're not getting to experience yourself in any new type of shape or fashion. And I don't think that that's helpful either, you know? So I think that there has to be a balance. I think your clinician providing a space where you do feel comfortable and confident being that side of yourself is valuable for somebody who doesn't have that anywhere else. Yeah. And can they help you identify why this space feels right for this? Mm -hmm. And how can you create more spaces like this in your other relationships? And or are you willing and prepared to explore where some of this is coming from? Okay. Right? Why there's so much of it that you need this space to be able to let it off as frequently as you do. So I have another question. Yeah say that you and your therapist it's a vibe you're going in you're venting um they're helping you work through and kind of unpack and analyze whatever needs to be analyzed and and you're doing some work and then you feel like you've gotten to a space where there's a bit of a rut or you feel like you're constantly just doing a lot of the talking and they're doing a lot of nodding and agreeing but not really like pulling anything else out of you is it okay for us to come 
to our clinician and say, okay, so we've been doing good for about six months, but I'm not getting what I need to get. Like, or do I do? Because before I quit you, before I end this relationship, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Before I quit you, yes. um, And because we pay for this service, absolutely. How do you? What do you recommend? how do you tackle such a yeah? How do you such a juncture? You tackle that because I've had that happen to me personally, where I was just like, maybe I've maybe I've hit a, a roadblock. Maybe me and my boo- or maybe you're fully evolved. You know, yeah, like you're there. Shit, <laughs> right? You know, and it's just like, see how she shut me down, y'all. How do I how do I ask for more? Because I feel like I, I feel like it's there, and mm-hmm. I feel like you know, and we've done it. But it's like a roadblock. Like, what do I do then? So you're feeling some hesitation. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, You know, therapy is a very interesting bond, right? It's a very unique space. Mm -hmm. And so after you've been doing what you've been doing for a while, you become accustomed to it feeling a specific way. Right. And after it loses that feeling, it also feels like maybe it loses its value. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would challenge you to think about what it is that you were getting from that feeling previously. So do some of that of your own kind of processing, right? Like what is it that I'm feeling I'm missing? I'm not getting any more. And was that really by the process of like her providing me lots of insights Is it that I know a lot about myself now and I'm doing a lot of the work in between our sessions and maybe I'm not necessarily taking things to the next level? Mm -hmm. You know, do I need her to um, create another space? You know what I mean? Um, Do I still need her to be the only one that bring insight or do I bring insight? Mm -hmm. I think being willing to just show up in the space and kind of say that, like, you know what? Like, can I talk to you about what I'm feeling when I come? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean now? And... Um, initially when I showed up, I was blown away each week, you know, you know, by the insights that you helped me to kind of develop. And now I, I, I'm still fond of that feeling and I don't feel like I'm getting as many of those like mind blowing, um, insights anymore. And I'm wondering what that means, Mm -hmm. you know, because I, I, I still yearn for that growth. I'm still yearning for this journey to continue and I'm just it's not feeling the same and I don't know what that means so I think if you can be confident and kind of just saying to her I don't know if you're feeling this too but I'm definitely feeling this and I'm wondering what it means I've never done this before you know and you're the expert in this space so yeah yeah I think that I know for myself and and anyone I've talked about this before any service that you pay for, mm-hmm. even if it's through your insurance, because mm-hmm. you still work for that insurance, yeah. um, or you have a voice to ask for what you need, that you should do that. Mm-hmm. And okay. I think that we just forget that in so many aspects of our lives. Mm-hmm. But even in therapy, showing up for yourself and being able to speak to whatever it is that you're not able to find value anymore is just really important. I think that's very similar to people that go to like medical doctors or dentists. Very rarely do people come prepared with like lots of questions and their own agenda around what the course of action is going to be. Mm-hmm. You come in, the doctor or the dentist assesses what it is that you need. Mm-hmm. They determine the course of action. They've set the fee. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just show up, bring your body, yeah. right? And yeah. so people have been conditioned to have the same type of attitude or stance with therapy as well, that I'm coming to you, you're the expert, you're going to figure it out, and I'm going to just follow your lead. This is true. Yeah, and so 
therapy is a partnership though so that's where it's different. You need to be willing to be honest, mm-hmm. you know, along the journey and say, like, I'm not getting the same out of this anymore. And yeah. I want to know what you think about that. You know, yeah. like, yeah. why do you think that is? Yeah. Word. All right. So how about this one? Therapists blame all of your problems in your childhood. Oh, yeah. Your parents <laughs> fucked you up. 100%. <laughs> Hundred percent for sure, and when you have kids, you're gonna fuck them up too. Oh boy, oh boy, because that's a thing that we see on like television. Yeah, the couch, right? Yes, and the whole like, tell me about your childhood. That's just like a running joke. It's right? Essential, yes. With, with therapy, and I'm trying to think because um, I've had two experiences with a therapist or with therapist, and the first one I don't remember her asking, and then this one. She asked about my background, but didn't like place heavy emphasis on the childhood. Just yes. Tell me about yourself. Tell me how you grew up. Tell me about your parents and your household and all of that. Um, so I thought that that was pretty funny when I was thinking about different myths that have come up. And so just wanted to, to take a moment to, to talk about that. So, um, so there's some truth in you know my jokes about parents fucking their kids up in the sense that there's this long um, held debate about I'm not sure if you've heard of it nature versus nurture oh yes yes so obviously you know there are schools that believe um, nature is everything um, your DNA the way that you come into this world shapes exactly who you are and who you will be um, in the world and there's another school of thought that says nurture is everything so your environment what you experience you know what you write into that book um, who influences you what you learn what you see what you know that's who makes you who you are and there's another school that believes it's a little bit of both right at this point scientific uh, knowledge doesn't know everything but we know that it's both Um, So you may have, um, everybody has precancerous cells, but not everyone develops, goes on to develop cancer, right? right? So a little bit of both. And so that same thing is true about your mental health and your mental presentation. Um, You have some predispositions to things and the environment that you grow up in teaches you how to manage those things Mm -hmm. or teaches you how to struggle I think with some of those things and so your very your very first experience with a relationship is with your parents (laughs) they're the ones who teach you how to be in a relationship they're the ones who teach you what's okay and what your emotional needs you know are and how you should present them and whether or not um they should get met by others or if you have a responsibility to try to meet them on your own and Mm -hmm. what's an appropriate way to do so Mm -hmm. you know like the way that you communicate um the way that you manage stress the way that you seek pleasure all of those things are things that you learn within your first relationships and that is with your parents and your siblings and your extended family members so when people want to know about your childhood it's because it's, it's telling yeah you learn a lot there. You learn how to be a human being with other human beings. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the way that you show up is absolutely influenced by your family of origin. Mm. Mm-hmm. So answer the question. Okay. Let them dig. Let them know. I think that that's very... God, that's so important. I saw something on... I saw something online, and my phone is away from me for a reason, so I could focus. Um... 
and there was a tweet from a singer and I don't remember what it said verbatim but it talks about asking like your love interest um what their relation like what relationships they saw of love growing up Mm. Mm. yeah so that you kind of know like what what you're dealing with yes um and those are really really deep conversations to have with people because a lot of us are functioning in spaces where we have no idea what love should look like completely out of our depth yeah Mm -hmm. which is crazy you don't always know what you don't know facts on facts, on facts, on facts. On another episode. Of- <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. All right. Yeah. It's definitely more. Okay. So how about this one? Um, if you choose to use your health insurance to pay for your services that your employer has to know that you sought some kind of assistance with your mental health that's a thing people believe that if you if you're doing it through your insurance everybody knows Ooh, that's a good one so let's break that down a little bit right so most people have heard of hipaa Mm -hmm. i have (laughs) health insurance portability and protection act something like that Basically, it, it, there are laws out there that protect, protect your confidentiality, protect your privacy. So your healthcare professionals, your doctor, your dentist, your therapist are required by law to keep the fact that you are in therapy um, private between the two of you. Now, when you sign a form saying that you want to utilize your insurance, or you authorize somebody to bill your insurance for services, they are asking for your consent to disclose to that insurance provider that obviously you're working with them, otherwise they would have no claim against your insurance company. So they are disclosing some information about what it is the two of you are talking about in order to justify that they have a claim. That doesn't mean that they're revealing the specifics of what it is that you guys are talking about, but they're discussing, you know, they're going to identify that whether or not it's individual couples or family therapy. Mm-hmm. They're going to identify all of the dates that you have gone and worked with them. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's an, if there, if your insurance requires a specific mental health diagnosis to authorize services, they're going to tell them what that diagnosis is. Mm-hmm. That insurance company and that clinician have no legal right to reveal any of that information to your employer. So your employer and your insurance company have no actual specific connection. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason why your boss, the CEO of your company, should ever know um, what your diagnosis is unless you provide them with authorization authorization to disclose that type of information. And I don't know why anybody would do that. so there, I would say there are exceptions to this rule specifically related to those who are in the military. Mm. Those who are in the military are, this is going to sound so harsh, but they already know, they're government property. Yeah. They sign a contract that specifically says that they are government property. And so their employer absolutely does know when they go see a counselor, if the counselor is provided to them through the military. So Mm -hmm. if they go see somebody through Fleet and Family, Mm -hmm. or they go see somebody at the VA, they report that back and it's the paperwork that they sign when they go in there says you have confidentiality i have to tell everything to your your command or whatever and it's just like it's it's unfortunate and at the same time 
some of it makes sense. If somebody has a, is struggling with psychosis or some type of delusion, yeah. you want somebody to know, know. right? Yeah. Um, however, if that service member decides to go see somebody in the community like myself, who's not attached with any insurance, I don't accept insurance, anything like that, no one will know. Yeah. They get to maintain their privacy, but it's much more expensive that way, and most service members cannot afford that. So, no, your boss will not know unless you go to work and tell your boss um, that you're in therapy. Gotcha. Good to know. So, how do you know when you're done? Mm, Yeah. Are you ever done? (laughs) I won't be. (laughs) Never leaving her. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. How do you know when you're done? Um, So... I think that was alluded to a little bit earlier in our conversation when you were talking about not getting the same effect, Mm -hmm. the the same feeling, the same mind-blowing insights week to week. Um, I would say, you know, people generally go to therapy when they have some significant symptoms that they're struggling with. I can't sleep. I'm not experiencing pleasure when I play basketball like I used to. I don't want to hang out with my friends anymore. I, um, I'm eating too much. I'm not eating at all. Um, I'm having nightmares. Some of those things, right? Like so much anxiety. I'm really depressed. I can't cry all the time. When those symptoms alleviate, when people aren't experiencing those same symptoms anymore, they're generally functioning pretty well. They're happier in their lives. They're back to doing things that they hadn't done in a while. I think the clinician generally says, sounds like you've met a lot of the goals that you came here for initially. What do you think about that? And kind of invite people to to experience their success, you know, their growth, their progress. Um, And then other times I think that we don't necessarily come in with that, like, significant of a symptomology and it's really I came to work I came to grow I came to learn more about myself and then that's more of an ambiguous pursuit and that really is self-defined and I think Mm. all goals are self-defined anyways right it's your experience of happiness in life Um, so you really have to ask yourself what am I going to to receive today like what am I what am I intentionally pursuing in this work that I'm doing Um, and are there things that I know that I've been avoiding you know or am I going and I'm kind of just coasting you know and I'm not actually touching this because I don't know what I'm going to do with that if we get to talking about that I don't know what I'm going to say you know those are those are questions for yourself but to also bring to therapy and talk about it I think asking your therapist uh, how do we know when we're done that's a fair question. Yeah. You know, sometimes they talk about it in the very first session. Yeah. So you can guarantee that they'll bring it up, but you should also be very comfortable saying, uh, so when do we get off this ride? Yeah. You know, and then being comfortable coming back. So I, I uh, those are, those are my thoughts on that. Okay. So my last question. The is, last one. I know, because there's like so many different ways to go with this, but just to kind of touch on some that I've heard and this one is for me personally do we ever get to become friends with our therapist (laughs) is that gonna be the home girl like what yes is that a thing right me and my therapist are the best of friends she just doesn't know it (laughs) I'm thinking about telling her (laughs) so do we ever get to become friends with our therapist um I am certain that that has happened somewhere on the planet um the easy answer is no that's the easy answer i say the easy answer because there are there's rules about everything let me tell you that right now so that has been considered um 
And there's a minimum statue of two years of no work together and no contact with someone after they're no longer your clinician um, before you can even pursue having any other type of association with this person. So I think that this comes up as more of a struggle in places where like it's a really small community, you know, like a small town. There's one dentist, there's one grocery store, there's one butcher, whatever. that person's going to be your dentist and they're going to be your, I'm going to be your pastor, right? right? You're going to be my accountant and this is going to be my kid's preschool teacher. You don't have a lot of options, but when there's, you know, we live in these large metropolitan, like you can possibly find other friends, right? And the reason that you might want to be friends with this person is because they make you feel a certain kind of way, Mm -hmm. right? And they have intimate knowledge of who you are and how your mind works and um, all of those are things that can, potentially cause issues that you can't ha- can't see right now mm-hmm. but the future might hold and so the easiest answer is no gotcha that's cool and i'm sure there are some people on the sly out there making friends with their therapists because this makes me think about like my job being in hr and how they're like amazing people mm-hmm. that i am a business partner too yes that i would never hang out with yeah because i can't hang yes. out with them yeah and how I know that there have been um, people after I left an organization, mm-hmm. we've reconnected, <clears throat> like, afterwards. Right. Um, and not anything, like, any friendship that I was going to die without. Cause like you said, living in these big cities and having other relationships, like, you don't need to be friends with this person, but mm-hmm. it is something about a feeling. But I, I, I definitely, <clears throat> excuse me, I've definitely wondered about that because yeah it's just like a it is a it is a relationship that feels really great but it's also your therapist so like they're yeah. supposed to make you feel positive things yeah like this could totally be a thing we could totally take a girl's trip <laughs> we'll buy you a shot right me down and the thing about um, it think about it like this it's a very one-sided relationship true story right so you don't yeah. actually know if you actually like her yeah, like you yeah. don't even know if you fuck with that bitch for real like, though so, right so it's been it, yeah <laughs> it became very intimate very quickly very. um mm. and yeah mm. you don't actually know anything about her so you wow. might be sick to death of her mm. if you got to know anything about her this is very true <laughs> and then you might have lots of questions about whether or not any of the work that you did was any value <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly nobody wants that Nobody wants so that. So just, just, just don't. No, let's just, just not. Let's just let it be. Let's just not. Any, any, any thoughts or advice? Although, as a this, person, because I'm person, just showing up right, as a you person are, right you're now. Showing up as a person. Yeah. Um, for anyone who has been on the fence about finding someone, or is having some challenges within the space that they're in with their therapist, just, just any kind of final thoughts or words Mm -hmm. around everything that we've talked about that you want to share i would i would say um don't discount your own personal history your own background your own cultural um, identity and what influences um your thoughts and your behaviors i would say if you have hesitations about talking to your therapist about things you should question that is it the relationship with your therapist that makes you feel like you should be hesitant or withhold or is it that just who you are in the world you know generally speaking you're mm-hmm. guarded you're um, wanting to please others uh, con- uh, concerned about criticism or judgment you know so 
if you can find a way to be honest, even if you write it down and give it to your clinician, you send them an email or a text message, you're not feeling comfortable enough to say it to their face, but I would say, get it out, you know, Mm -hmm. say it to them. It enriches the work that you do. Therapists are always so impressed and proud of and happy for their clients when they do and say things they wouldn't normally say or do, right? right? Like it's supposed to be a very empowering relationship. So if you are feeling hesitant, even in that space, then, you know, that's something to consider, you know, consider looking for another therapist. I did not have luck on my first try, believe it or not. I had a not so great experience with my first uh, therapist, more recent therapist journey, um, because I've had others in the past. So, um, had to try again with this this therapist and second time was a charm for me thank goodness because I didn't know how many more I can go through <laughs> but that would say that like it's it's okay to not match with your therapist it's okay to um, need something more than what they can provide you with and uh, and be brave enough to kind of try again nice yeah. what a nice positive note Aww. that you left that on thank you so guys there it is this is why she's my favorite friend that I can't share with with you all anymore Um, thank you so much for taking the time out to do this with me Um, I think that you have the most beautiful heart and mind and soul and spirit and I adore you and I think you just have a lot of insight to just share um, from a space that is very comforting I feel like a lot of people just are are not comfortable asking for help. And I feel like a lot of us are looking for help in so many different areas, in so many different spaces. And so any way that I could help add value to a conversation or process for someone, I wanted to do that. And I thought you were the perfect person to do that with. So thank you for for doing this with me. I admire you taking this journey for so many reasons, but also the selflessness in this act um, that you've committed to. I think that this is rare, you know, much like you said, people are, we all have needs. We're all searching, whether we realize it or not, we are, uh, we are just trying. And the fact that you found a way to give in your own special, unique fantastic away I admire that in you so thank you for having me thank you for sharing me of course this was awesome this is a lot of fun awesome so yes this is episode three part two and I feel like there will be more I feel like there these conversations just continue to evolve Uh, mental health is not something that just ends you know, because we've, we've reached a destination. I think this is a, a journey that we take until we stop breathing. Um, if you guys have any questions, um, any comments, any feedback about the episode, um, if you, any anything that comes up for you, feel free to reach out to me. All of my information is on the website, CavalierLush.com, Cavalier Lush on everything. That is a social media platform. Um, I have a contact form on my page that I do respond to. So reach out. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you guys so much for your time and your love. I appreciate all the support and I'm excited to be back in two weeks with another episode. Thank you again, Adia, for being with us. Yes, of course. And thank you for listening to Something About Sunday.
Bye.